we currently, and I think it's exacerbated by the pandemic and the political environment, we don't seem to even be able to get along with each other in America if you have a different perspective on something. And now, coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California, it's the world famous Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for listening, and I am Chris. And I'm Christine, and welcome to episode 89 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do-do-do-do! Fantastic! How has your week been, baby? Oh, it's been a week. You know, it's been uh, it's post-graduation, so I've been just trying to figure out what to do with myself now that I don't have school. I've been considering a lot of different options, one of which is Maybe I'm going to get a job waiting tables at a restaurant in the evening. What? That's like going backwards because I think you started off your whole college career waiting tables at a Denny's, if I don't remember uh, correctly. But girlfriend over here is going to have to start paying back those school loans and a what? sister loves some good tips. I, so. thought, I thought that was free schooling. <laughs> part of the part of the uh, new. <laughs> we new, live uh, in the USA. Nothing is free. Oh, yeah. So, hey, backtrack a little bit. So last week, we actually went up to Los Angeles yes, we to did. see a special event starring the one, the only, uh, excuse me, but Dr. Christine over here. Yes, we went to my graduation and it was a wonderful weekend and we actually went kid free, which was kind of crazy because I was expecting to have them there at graduation, but I'm glad they didn't have to make the trek because it was a long ceremony, but you and I got some adult time on Saturday evening at the happy hour with my cohort mates and... I was really grateful that my parents and your parents were able to come. And uh, yeah, it was just a really fun experience. And now I'm officially, officially, official doctor, doctor over here. And just like trying to figure out what to do in the evenings has been different because I've been so used to studying and schoolwork. And, you know, last night I actually went to a movie. I love going to movies by myself, but I went to the movie theater and first time and like, 14 or 15 months because of COVID that I've been able to go by myself to see a chick flick with popcorn. And it was like glorious. How many other people were in the theater with you? Two. So you and so three total yeah. in the theater. <laughs> it was a couple that was like sitting uh, two rows in front of me. And I mean, an older couple, like a married couple. And they were like kissy and stuff like that. It an was older cute. couple was well, like, kissy? Well, like, you know, like a little bit older than us, not like super old but even if they were kissy they could be all you know pda there was only one other person i get you yeah and it was cute because it was like a chick flick and i love those kinds of little romance movies but um yeah it's been a busy week at work and just figuring out my new rhythm without school and realizing like i wasn't joking about the the restaurant thing because i was like well i'm so used to being busy and like sitting around and not doing things in the evening is not my MO. And so I always have something to do. And so one of those things that I've started doing is thinking about getting back into uh, the wedding business on the side, like wedding florals. Wait, and get stuff. married, get married all over again again? <laughs> no. Round two. Here we go. I used to be a wedding planner on the side. No so, way, really? Yeah. So I've been thinking about like getting into floral design and things like that, just taking on, you know, a wedding or two a year, maybe nothing big, but you know, for brides that really need somebody great thinking about helping them. So I met with a bride this week and was thinking about that. But, you know, lots of different things happening. 
Well, that's fantastic, babe. I'm so Thanks proud. So I'm so proud of you for graduating. By the way, and that graduation was amazing. It was held at the Los Angeles Coliseum. Yeah, it was. Which is right next to her school, USC, which mm-hmm. up, at, up in the Los Angeles area, and it was like a big uh, football event. Although when we went there, they had this whole COVID restrictions to where they only sold tickets or gave out tickets in pairs of two. Right. So the seats were actually kind of roped off with this uh, strapping that you'd use to like bundle big packages together. Like, mm-hmm. They'd strap these straps around the seats and around the rows that they did not want anybody to sit in. So did they escort you to your seats? No. The thing was, when I went through the gate, they actually gave me a actual physical ticket. Oh. And, and the ticket ha- did have a seat and a seat number on it. So I went to that seat and it was just me. It was my seat and a seat next to mine were open and the, all the seats around it were all blocked off. There was a couple, like a row, maybe like like five to ten uh, seats over, maybe it was ten seats over to my left. Right. There, there was a, a, two seats over there. A couple was over there. Everything was in groups of two. There was no seats that were more than two together. It was like two and then a bunch of section roped off and another two. So if you look around the whole stadium, you would see like there's two people there, two people there, all kind of all around the whole stadium. The stadium was not filled, obviously. No, it wasn't. And what's really interesting, and USC did an amazing job, and shout out to their entire staff because there are so many universities that haven't been able to hold any type of commencement. But because of the large number of graduates, there were over, because they had the class of 2020 and 2021, They said if everybody had attended, which they didn't, if all the graduates had attended, they would have been awarding 38,000 diplomas. Wow. Yeah, 38,000. And so they couldn't, of course, do that in one setting. And so they broke it up to have two commencement ceremonies per day for 14 days. So something like 28 different ceremonies, 350 staff members from USC committing all of their time to... They had to clean the facilities. They had to staff, you know, do all the tickets and stuff. So huge shout out to USC for pulling it off. I think today or yesterday was their last day of commencement activities, but it was a well-oiled machine and it was just, it was a fun experience. And one of the things that I loved is they let you sit wherever you want to with whoever you want to. Like we didn't have to do the whole like pomp and circumstance marching to the field. We just like walked out and found a seat. And then we got to sit by whoever we wanted because we had these little uh, scan codes that they would scan it and then it would um, flash our name and our degree up on the big Megatron, Jumbotron, and say our name. And so I ended up having to sit on like the back half of where the graduates were, but they ended up starting with the back half for the graduates. Really? No way. So you got to go first. I was like in the first 50 to 60 people to get my name called. And then they have you leave the Coliseum after your name is called. So... It was like you guys had to sit there for them just calling like 50 or 60 names and then they called my name and I was like, okay, I'm out. And then we all got to leave. And so it was nice. That was great. I loved it. It it, it was so awesome. And by the way, congratulations, babe. Thank you so much, honey. I appreciate it. But enough about my week. How's your week been? Well, I have some exciting news. I can tell, tell you and tell everybody. Well, let's go back a little bit to the great old year of 2019. If you remember way back then. What was that? That was like pre-pandemic i know it's back when you can go out to new movies you can go to a graduation a college graduation and sit next to everybody it was all free for all oh and concerts that was a fun thing too yeah speaking of concerts remember what we did in 2019 we went to in 2019 before Uh, we started the podcast didn't we go to like a 
I'm trying to think of what we went to in 2019. We did a lot. Um, oh, we went to go see Wicked, the musical. That That is true. We saw Wicked, and we also went to a radio station festival here in uh, San Diego for a show. And uh, more importantly than all of that, in Las Vegas, the biggest music festival in the world. <laughs> in the world. Happens in Las Vegas every year, except for last year, because it was a pandemic. Is that, it really the biggest in the world? I think so. I don't know. Coachella. Uh, well, this is bigger than that. Okay. Because I right. said so. The iHeartRadio Music Festival, which happens in Las Vegas. We went to it in 2019, and it was amazing. It was so fun. And do you remember that the day after we came back from that music festival is the day you proposed to me? Well, that's what it happens when you go to a music festival like that. You get super <laughs> excited, and you get all crazy. And you love it. It was so much fun. We flew in and flew right out. It was probably the best music festival, best concert that I've ever been to in my entire life. It was a well-oiled machine. It was amazing. Well, what does that have anything to do? with 2021 well guess what i just found out with one day notice that 2021 now that the pandemic's kind of going on the downside a little bit we're kind of coming out of it that iHeartRadio, iHeartMedia has decided to make the new concert again for 2021 they're bringing it back to las vegas live Woohoo! that's so exciting so are you taking me or somebody else well i just so happen to secure two tickets to the iHeartRadio Music Festival in Las Vegas this year, 2021, and you and our baby are going. Yay! So who do I get to see? Well, I don't know yet. <laughs> what? You bought the tickets and you don't know? How do you know it's going to be the best ever? Oh, because it's always the best ever. Every single year, iHeartRadio, they always bring nothing but top A-list ar- artists every single show. Yeah, so, you know what? That is true. We got to see Marshmallow, Kane Brown. Alicia Keys. Alicia Keys was amazing. Her. Remember, I was like, is it H-E-R? And you were like, it's her. You know, she was in that, <laughs> she was in that movie we just saw. Oh, that, Yes Day. Uh-huh. Yeah, she was, yeah, she was yeah. in that movie. She was so fantastic. Like, if they just replicated that lineup. I mean, there was a few that I wasn't so into. Um, but Miley Cyrus was there, too. And oh, then right. who was the old guys? Uh, Def Leppard. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. That, you know, no, don't want to have any haters right now. But I was not a big fan of Def Leppard. I love them. Ugh, I know. Anyways. you're old. They have not released the lineup yet, as far as I know, as of right now. But tickets sell out in minutes. Minutes? And I was able to secure us two tickets. Now, do you think that they're going to have, like, distancing? Like, are we going to... Are there, like, reduced capacity? You know, I don't know. That could be a good point. What if they do? So tickets really would sell out in seconds (laughs) instead of minutes because less of... Oh, maybe. Well, I'm so excited that you're excited. So do we get to, like stay over or are we gonna have to like drive over or fly in fly out what's the plan well we haven't figured out the logistics yet i just saw i had literally one day's notice that these tickets were going on sale in the morning so i i said christine hey we should jump on these because they're gonna be uh selling out real fast and we went that one year 2019 went the last year they had it and we had so much fun it was such an amazing event i would love to go back again so i was able to get two uh two tickets for the show, I think what we're going to do is we're probably going to have to fly out, do like we did last time, get the one night hotel stay, fly out, go to the event, go to the hotel, check out, fly home. Boom, yeah. boom, in and out. I want to gamble a little bit, though. Well, if we have time, maybe we can. If we'll we have time, hey, you're taking me to Vegas. I will make time. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll find out. I got the tickets secured. We'll see. You get to do your thing. I want to go play craps. Okay. Don't crap out on your craps. <laughs> well, I'm excited for that. We haven't been to Vegas, just the two of us, since, you know, I think we went one trip after 
the iHeartRadio Festival, but maybe not. I mean, it's been a long time. Well, the last trip we went to Vegas was when I, we went I to I said that. just with you and I. Oh, 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 right. Because we took the kids, but Vegas and kids is totally different than Vegas adults. Right. Maybe it was a trip to Zion when you and I went. Was that the time we went? Uh, last time we went, just you and I to Vegas? No, because that was before we got engaged. So oh. the last time might have been when we went to the iHeartRadio Music Festival. Or maybe we went one time after that. But needless to say, it's been a long time. And I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, speaking of that, you and I are going to be doing some traveling now that COVID restrictions are lifting a bit. Um, you and I and the kids included, we have some fun stuff lined up. And, you know, I'm thinking maybe we need to start like a separate account, a separate bank account just for vacation fun. Because, you know, we got that surprise just, oh, what was it? Uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, where my parents are taking us to Mexico, just you and I in June. And then we're taking the kids up to go uh, stay in a cabin up near Yosemite for a week during the summer in July. Now we have this in September to Vegas. And then we have our anniversary trip to Cabo in November. You know, maybe we should ask the listeners to put a GoFundMe account. For <laughs> Cash app. <laughs> a GoFundMe app for our travel uh, uh, fund. We'll just do Venmo. Venmo straight to me, Christine. <laughs> Wait, what, what do I get? Do I get a cut of that? Or they could Patreon us. That would be great. And we, speaking of which, we do have a Patreon account. We would love to have your support from our loyal listeners to fund the fun of the Chris and Christine show. Um, and we will leave the details for Patreon in our show notes. Yes, we always do. It's always there at the bottom, excluding our famous, absolutely amazing website, which uh, I created yours truly. <laughs> Where it, can they find that? It is at www.chrisandchristineshow.com. And that's Chris and Christine with K's. That is right. Yep. And we have this week another fabulous guest who are, you're going to learn a lot about news media. She is super fascinating and she's going to be with us right after this. Hey there, K2 crew. We love having you as our loyal listeners. To keep up to date with what's happening behind the scenes, check us out on social media. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to follow our Facebook page. Yeah, tag us in your favorite fun stories. And guess what? You might just end up on the show. Today's episode is brought to you by Baruch. Now, Baruch is an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth. With powerful sonic technology and ultra-gentle bristles, the Bruch redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. It's like that feeling when you first leave the dentist. A fresh, whole mouth clean every single day. Our listeners get 15% off total purchase with code POD15. Follow the link in the show notes and enter the code POD15 to get your exclusive discount and upgrade your oral care routine. And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic VIP guest. She is a journalist, an author, and an adventurer. Welcome to the show, Jessica Stone. <laughs> Just imagine I'm running through the... the uh all the hands that are trying to slap me five and, you know, there's my red carpet. Yes. You gotta imagine those things with They're audio, all right? here. They're all here for you. <laughs> <laughs> They're just standing Good outside to be here. the door. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks, Jessica, for showing up today. We appreciate this. You bet. And where in the world are you joining us from today, Jessica? I am in uh, the East Coast and I am from Falls Church, Virginia, Northern Virginia, the D.C. suburbs. Oh, awesome. So are you physically in Washington, D.C. right now? 
No. I am physically uh, in um, actually an undisclosed location. Oh, However, oh. I typically come from Northern Virginia. Okay, Ooh. fantastic. Ooh, I like Unless that. I'm on tra- yeah, I'm trying to be mysterious. You know? I know, woman of mystery, undisclosed location. If it is it one of those <laughs> things, if you told us, you'd have to kill us because I totally want that to be the case. Oh, well, I don't sure. want to die. What are you yeah. talking about? <laughs> yeah, no. I, it's a good thing we're only um, connected by audio or you might be more afraid of my abilities, <laughs> I guess. Sure. Awesome. Well, we're wow. really excited to have you <laughs> on the show today. You have a super interesting story. Length. Yeah. <laughs> you have a super interesting story and we can't wait to dig into it with you. So um, first of all, you're a journalist. Tell us a little bit about that. I just love to write. I love to explore. I love getting paid to be nosy. And this is a great c- career if you have those qualities. You know, I didn't know that that was part of the job description because if it's like pays to be nosy, gosh, I could totally make a career out of that. I feel like it's a good starting point for sure. And I know you're thinking about like, you know, some job changes. So, you know, know. maybe put this on the list. It is possible. (laughs) Yeah. So if you are really good at being nosy when you're in a restaurant, are you constantly eavesdropping? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I do try to pay attention to the person that I'm with who hopefully is giving me good information. But there is certainly if I notice that I recognize somebody or I'm, um, see somebody high profile, I might have to go to the bathroom a few times and walk by their table. <laughs> Maybe drop something like, I don't know, that takes a long time to pick up right nearby. I'm sure they're on to me, but, you know. Jessica, what made you, at what point in your life did you say, I want to be a journalist? 16. 16. Now, why that particular age? Was it what you got your license or what? Uh, that was because I had wanted to be a, a Broadway stage actress. And at 16, I realized I no longer wanted to be a Broadway stage actress because instead of being somebody else in front of everyone else, I wanted to be me in front of everyone else. Okay. So a journalist is kind of like being yourself in front of everybody else. I get that. Yeah. Well, the broadcast side of it, right? So right. I've, I've done mostly television and radio. You have to be used to being in front of people. But actually easier to do i find tv than theater because you don't actually get any reaction from anybody so if somebody doesn't like what you're saying you don't really know until after the fact Ooh, they fire somebody's you screaming in your ear <laughs> <laughs> well sometimes you get a producer or somebody screaming in your ear rap 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 and you're trying to talk and you're like whoa i can't i have such cognitive dissonance right now um but other than that you don't really get any feedback like when you, when i'm publicly speaking you have, you know, you're like, oh, wow, I got to wake these people up and putting them to sleep, you know, or, um, or wait, they just looked shocked at what I told them or wait, they're really engaged, you know, then you can a little more uh, interaction, a little more uh, feedback. So broadcast journalism, I guess I thought I, I just make an assumption when people say journalism, I think of print, but broadcast journalism is a whole different level of preparation because you have to like be on the spot right away. Some of Chris's favorite people to watch on TV are the news individuals. So it's like who? Oh, you love the local news, but I love, you... my, I love my local ladies, you know, <laughs> but were you a local? Does that news mean you watch Ron Burgundy? He did come from San Diego. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I, I have a Ron Burgundy clip clipping here somewhere. <laughs> I think you should play it now. And I, then I can story. say that I am compelling and rich. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not Veronica Corningstone, although many have asked. So please don't come out of that soundbite with that question. Uh, okay. <laughs> so do you have a specific type of broadcast journalism? Like, is there a, a niche type of story that you tend to gravitate towards? 
yeah, I'm I'm very wonky and nerdy, and um, so I do international economics, trade, um, and foreign relations. I covered the White House for ten years for a Chinese broadcaster, so kind of figuring out what matters to that audience and that unique challenge is kind of my nexus point. And now I do business and finance mostly exclusively. So, so what's happening on Wall Street? Why? What's the story of, you know, tell, tell me about Dogecoin or Bitcoin or, and I'm not an expert in those things, but I'm, I'm trying to learn so that I can help other people understand. <laughs> well, what do you know? Do you know anything? I mean, what do you know about Bitcoin? Is it worth even buying or is it a big fad? Um, a, a little bit of both. It is a finite resource like gold or silver. So it, it will, it will have value and it will hold value as a result of that. It's, it, it cannot be created indefinitely. Um, so for that reason, it can be a store similar right, but to silver I, I, as a hedge, um, for inflation, which obviously you just saw last week where, or, or earlier this week, right? It's Friday. Um, we're, 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 we're finally admitting that we have inflation. Right. Right, I, with that, gas that's prices. A, that's yeah. a big uh, news story I hear right now over, all over social media. <laughs> it's, it's inflation. Yeah. When you probably knew that you, you were paying more, but the government wasn't ready to admit it based on how they calculate it. But now, apparently, they are. Because we had got our CPI numbers this year, this week, and they were like, what, 4% or something up? So now, so now all the hype on Wall Street is vindicated because they've been operating under the assumption that we were inflating because we are inflating. We're printing money. What do you think we're doing? Yeah. <laughs> we're you get a stimulus. And and you get you. a stimulus. You get a stimulus. <laughs> yeah. Chris, yours. have you gotten yours yet? Uh, Chris sent and me then this. worse yet, you're not investing it. You are actually paying off that credit card. God forbid that you yeah. pay off that credit card. Uh, Chris sent me this. such oh. good choices. He sent me a hilarious meme like last week, and it was a local business that had a sign outside that said, stimulus checks available weekly, come inside to talk to the manager, like trying to <laughs> encourage people to get a job. Um, but it wow, was hilarious. I, you really need to send that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good job ad. Yeah. Instead of help wanted, stimulus checks offered. Yeah, it's, it tells you a lot about what's motivating people at this it point is. and what's it's not, it, right? Right, right. Well, didn't didn't was it Biden or someone recently said something about how like um, if you have a job offered your way, you have to take it or you lose your unemployment. Yeah, yeah. What, what does that even they mean? They had waived those rules um, in the in the, during the height of the pandemic so that people would get up back on their feet. And he's he's saying that they're going to be reapplied. I'm not clear on how you know whether someone has gotten a decent offer. Right. And right. That's, that's the caveat, right? Like, I, I don't know. I, I can't recall, even when I've been on unemployment, which I've been on it twice, that I ever, I, I had to, you know, they ask you every week, did you get a job or did you get an offer? But all you have to do is say no. You don't have to tell them that you got one that you turned down. You don't have, I mean, it's all dependent. It's all the honor system. So it's not clear to me that they have, unless they're tracking me and my phone, which they could be, um, how they're going to know. Right. So something that you said a few minutes ago, I wanted to hop back to because you mentioned Bitcoin and what was the other kind you mentioned? Do Dogecoin? Dogecoin. Okay, which... so I've been seeing it on Twitter. I thought, I know, call me dumb. I thought it was doggy. I was doggy like, coin? Well, it's, <laughs> doggy a, it's a picture of a dog on a coin. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so that's an oh. easy, it, it, you're, not, you're not going places your mind wouldn't normally go by virtue okay. of actually seeing it. Yeah. Yeah, but you said You're Dogecoin, totally and I was like, um, yeah. it's not doggy? Oh, mind blown right now. But I don't even know what all of this stuff is. And so maybe 
maybe tell us a little bit about what that means to be in that finance and business world. What is your intent behind your reporting? Well, I am not I don't, I'm not a finance background. Um, I have a journalism degree and a political science and French degree. So I am approaching, I approach my business reporting as a student of learning how to, how all of these things um, work and, and why they're popular and why they're necessary. I, I have what's called more of a macroeconomic background where I've studied and watched and witnessed different economic trends globally and, and why they rise and fall, whether it was the last recession, this recession, different efforts to stimulate the economy through what they do in the central banks or what they do with Congress. We've done both this this time around. So I try to stay away from the weeds. The weeds can be helpful to, for me to know to broaden out the spectrum. But I think the reason that you're seeing so much conversation around cryptocurrencies broadly, which is, you know, there are dozens and dozens of cryptocurrencies is for a couple of reasons. In the pandemic, we've seen a lot of people not want to touch cash. So electronic payments, which we are behind on compared to other countries around the globe, we do not, we still use credit cards and cash in this country. And a, and a country like China doesn't use either. Um, what? They have them, but they don't use them. Um, you cannot use a credit card. It's very hard to use a credit card in, in China. Really? They so what would you do? Phone. Like, what would you do if pay you went to trap well, your phone? Like, Scan, but- you- like Apple Pay scan, or something else? Yep. Basically, the, the Chinese equivalent, which is WeChat Pay or Alipay. So they have okay. all these electronic payment systems that are tied into your national identi- identity card. They're tied into your, your bank account. And it's very, very convenient. You can take a picture of a barcode or a um, QR code with your phone, and that's how you pay. You can also pay with facial recognition. What? Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So when you th- so it's actually hard. It's harder and harder to be a, a Western tourist there because you don't have a Chinese bank account. You're not likely to be able to get one very easily, and so you have to. Pay. I often, when I've gone, have had to pay a Chinese person and then in cash, or <laughs> I can't even Venmo them because they don't. My Ven, you know, my bank doesn't talk to their bank oh, yeah. quickly enough. So I, I think that the the touchless payment has really been a focus because of the pandemic, and I think that there's obviously. A lot of people with a lot of time and maybe more money that we've seen people speculating in the stock market. That's why we saw the Robinhood thing and GameStop thing go crazy because a lot of people that didn't know a lot about investing were investing based on what they read on Reddit um, about (laughs) GameStop and, you know, or Hertz or some of these other uh, blockbuster other companies that they were trying to save that were in bankruptcy, a variety of different situations, but sort of not based in, in any sort of research that people did. And so I just think there's an appetite to make money because we've just seen this horrible thing happen to our country. It affected our economy. I think it's more than we realize affected our, our psych- psyche and our psychology. We're lonely, we're isolated, and we're not making the best decisions. <laughs> and we're very <laughs> divided politically. So, uh, you know, you're not even talking to people you might have talked to that might actually be able to talk some sense into you if they have a different political point of view. So going on that note with the political divide and with you being in journalism, so you got CNN is obviously very left and you got Fox is obviously very right. Is there is there kind of like what is Christie's looking at me kind of give me a funny look over there. But I'm saying that like how do when you when you are a journalist, are you kind of persuaded when you are working for one side or the other to like you you have to kind of lean a particular way? So this is where my 
generation will show itself more than my train and my training. Because I haven't been in a, uh, I haven't been in school in 20 years, but my generation of journalists was definitely taught that there were many sides to a story and that truth exists. And I firmly believe that it does uh, and it's discoverable and you're not going to get all of it. You'll get pieces of it, but you'll you form the best picture that you can. And you do that by listening to multiple voices and not going in with a pre, uh, pre de- uh, predetermined point of view. However, I'm starting to notice in younger journalists that they think that they are here to advocate for a position. They think they are here to advocate for a social justice position or particular uh, point of view on gender or race or um, religion or ethnicity. And I don't come from that training or that persuasion. And we are going to have a clash in our newsrooms with those ideologies competing with each other. Um, What has happened to news more broadly is certainly that the commercialization of news has caused news to take a position. And um, I've worked for Fox News. Their evening hosts take a position. They have news products that uh, don't take a position consistently or take a center-right position. I would argue that, um, that they spearheaded a lot of the opinion journalism on television. They basically took talk radio and put it on TV. And it did wildly, it was wildly successful. AM radio moved to TV. A lot of the hosts that they moved to TV are, were right off radio. The Rush Limbaugh's that, you know, Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh are are the same generation of radio broadcasters. So, um, and then, you know, everybody else had to react. One thing most people don't know is that MSNBC Remember, it's Microsoft NBC. That's what MSNBC right. means. Um, initially, it was going to be a right of center broadcaster. Tried it, couldn't. They wasn't getting viewers, so it went far left. CNN hmm, wow. used to be in the middle. Uh, Jeff Zucker from NBC took over. They decided they were not going to stay in the middle, and I think they arguably surrendered the only reason people were watching them, which was that they were supposed to be in the middle. Right. And now we have a, we have people, you know, being told by the president of CNN that they could put their opinions on there. And if that's not what you're looking for, you're not going to go there. And if you want a left of center there either, because you have that in other places. And we have a huge fragmentation of media with, with podcasting and online journalism and now Substack where you can actually subscribe directly to the journalists that you like. So oh, you're wow. going to have, um, you don't have NBC, CBS and ABC 30 minutes of programming every night that everybody sits around to watch anymore. Uh, And I don't think younger news consumers want that, but they, and I'm not even sure they want unbiased journalism. If that's the case, I'm very concerned about the future of our country because we're the only profession that's written into the Constitution. We're the fourth estate. First Amendment guarantees the right to a free press. And if we abuse our position to keep government accountable without without thinking purely and only about the profit motive, we're not actually serving our country as journalists. That's a really good point. One of the things as you were talking, it made me think about as you were talking about the younger generation of of journalists is something completely outside of news media, but still in a type of media, which is social media and the influencers. And it makes me think about that same type of mentality of influencing individuals to buy a certain product to do a certain thing is that same type Mm -hmm. of mentality that appears to be showing up in the news media, which is our 
success, our motivation is to get you to buy into our line of thinking. It's still that kind of consumerist mentality of I am only successful if I get you to believe what I believe and follow along with this media platform, news media platform. And so is that something that you're seeing that it's kind of that influencer mentality showing up in news media? You know, I actually think that's a really good way to describe it. Um, I've been recently, I would say in the last two years of my career, moving more towards digital and been pretty, because that's the future of of the technology of journalism. Uh, Fewer people are sitting and watching anything but their phone. So even if you have a television program, somebody's going to consume it differently. And there are different things that you have to consider when you're creating that product to make it um, enjoyable for that person to watch and, 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 and for them to come back again and again and click. And you need those clicks, right? To, to sell advertising, to sell pre-roll, um, sponsorship, et cetera. I think that's a really, really good way of putting it. And I have been disappointed as I've tried to grow content organically without paying to promote it at how good content is difficult to grow on certain social media platforms. Each one has such a different ecosystem. There are some that I'm more happy to be on. And now that I'm promoting my book, I'm really learning, you know, where is my audience most likely to be and how do I connect with them? And it's not just generational. It's, you know, professional versus lifestyle. And how do you reach somebody who's in a who's on a lifestyle app, but who but who you're trying to shape from a professional standpoint and give them a professional skill, which is what my book is aiming to do. It's it's a really interesting challenge. I am not an expert on it, uh, but um, there are moments where I have really felt disappointed that I think social media and things that move on social media are often pandering to some of the lower common denominators of shock value, greed, fear. Those are the motivators. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that. Chris and I were talking this morning. We have coffee together um, and kind of talk about our our plan for our day as we're getting going. And we were sitting talking about getting ready to have you on the show and just thinking about the pattern that news media and journalism has kind of evolved into where it used to be you could sit down for the nightly news and for the most part you would get facts and you would get a reporting out of what's happening in the world. Whereas now when we sit down to watch some type of a news media, news outlet, it's looking as if it's trying to evoke some type of emotional response. And in that, whether you're activated by fear or you know fight or flight instinct, you build some type of a connection. It's either I need to rely on this source because they're going to help me know what I should fear and be afraid of and avoid or how I should respond versus like being able to sit and passively receive information. And so it's like that difference of moving from information gathering type of news media reporting to if I don't have an emotional response, if I don't get triggered in some way, are they even doing their job? And it just seems like it's really odd. I like the old fashioned sit down for the nightly news or whatever it is and just Mm -hmm. learn what's happening in the world. Like we're just strictly reporting out, like let's eliminate the bias and the positionality from it. Yeah. um, You would be in the minority, I think. 
although there are there are people who are trying to meet that need, um, especially in the younger generations. I mean, I've talked to different um, companies that are efforting to meet a you know sort of metered in the middle uh, standpoint, uh, even have viewer engagement to rate whether it's unbiased or not. Um, but if the trend I'm seeing inside the newsroom is emblematic of millennial news consumers and Generation Z, who I think we know from research are much more interested in causes, then it may be a blur that the lines are going to be too blurry, that they may not want the lines not to be they may not, They may not want what you want and what I want. So you mentioned that about causes. It makes me wonder if that's really what's behind this is people needing a cause to stand behind to feel like they have their life has meaning. And then they find that with kind of biased reporting. I don't know. It's just interesting sure, conversation. Yeah, it's certainly possible. I mean, my my reaction to that is that my cause is free speech and my cause is the protection of that free speech explaining what the Constitution says about our ability to even speak hate speech, that actually hate speech, whether you like it or not, is protected by the Constitution. When it turns into violence, it's not. But there are a lot of unpleasant conversations that are entirely constitutionally protected, and yet there are people who don't know that, and there are a lot of young people who don't who will who who would just say you know they'll shut down the conversation and say you know you shouldn't be even talking like that it's like well then how can we challenge and debate ideas and get to the best result if we're not able to talk about controversial ideas we should be able to talk about this have you uh, seen the movie I think it's No Safe Places I think it's on Amazon Mm-mm. it's a documentary it? it's a documentary about that about going to uh, I think it was who was it? It was um, Adam Carolla and the other guy. Uh, what's his name? Prager. I think his name is. Oh, Dennis Prager. Yeah, they went. They went around. They talked about how on different college campuses they pulled up some um, events that happened around colleges where there were um, people saying different things that they didn't agree with. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Where you you can see how basically uneducated college students are about free speech. Yeah, and it got um, turned into in riots. Kind of scenarios. And, yeah, I mean, it can get out of hand. And, and I kind of wonder about, like, like you mentioned the free speech, even free hate speech. It's, he mentioned this in the movie. That he says that uh, I can say whatever I want, and even if it's simply hate, is it okay? He's just telling these college kids, like, giving them examples of, like, is it okay if I say this or if I say that? I mean, it, it's all under the Constitution. It's still legal. But they're saying, no, you can't say that. And, and they had a really big big fight about it. Not a fight, but, like, kind of disagreement about uh, yeah. that, you know. And I kind of wonder about, like, with Twitter and things like that, too. Um, weren't they weren't they shutting people down? I know the president got, uh, ex-president got shut, out, shut off from Twitter for saying th- certain things. But is that still constitutional? Can you still do that? Yeah, it's a private company. Oh, That's I why. see. Okay, I get you. Yeah. The, the whole private, and like, it, Facebook and all that, and too. We, yeah, and the reason, if you remember, there was a... Uh, a carve out that these companies had gotten an immunity was like under the a commerce clause. I'm not going to remember. I can Google while I'm on the, but there's, there's, uh, there's a movement in Washington to remove that immunity, which would make, make it, make that dynamic change. And I'm not, I'm not articulate at the moment on it. I'm afraid I should be. Um, but yeah, these are private companies. Now, the thing is, is that 
with increasing frequency, they're acting like the arbiters of the public square. If the public square moves to a private place, how do you regulate it? I think that's the question we're now facing. Yeah, I was just going to ask that question because you bring up a really good point with Twitter being privately owned, Facebook being privately owned. But and, and I don't know this, but isn't every news channel and every newspaper owned by someone? I mean, if we're talking about yep. free press, there's not a press of the people owned by <laughs> nobody that's just like so free, So section right? 230, the internet free speech law, that is um, at one point last October, President Trump wanted to repeal that. It's part of the Communications Decency Act. Um, 30 years ago, it was, I'm reading now, um, it, it protects internet platforms from liability for many of the things that third parties say or do on them. And that was, that's part of the, the arguments. Again, I'm, uh, this is not my level of expertise, but I think on a regulatory, I think we all as citizens need to be watching this, this battle over how to regulate these platforms because it does go back to a fundamental uh, balancing and keeping accountable of our government. If you can take me off of Twitter, if I say something that's that enough people don't like, even if it's true, like imagine Watergate in the age of Twitter. Right. What if what if President Nixon <laughs> was able to influence <laughs> Twitter to shut it down, and the Washington Post never did sell, you know, never published these things. Right. Maybe you know it, because maybe he was so popular that any you know. If you, the point is, is that this has to be unassailable from the public. The whole, it has to be beyond political fingerprints. It has to be uninfluenced. And that's what the constant, I mean, many cynics could say, oh, we're already kind of too far down the garden path. But I do think that that's, that's something we really have to contend with. Not to mention that most of us are probably shareholders in these companies. I mean, if you (laughs) check your 401k, chances are high that you're in these tech companies. You may not have a big enough share to go to a shareholders meeting to say boo, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, chances are you have a stake financially in their success, too. Yeah, definitely. It sounds, Jessica, like you have a lot of understanding of the different sides of the arguments when it comes to, like, the the biases in media and that you have this passion to try and help people understand how to, like, overcome that. Uh I heard that you said that you published a book recently, and I have the title of it here. Does that kind of relate to your inspiration behind the reason why you wrote your book? Um, you know, it has it has become a self fulfilling prophecy. I set out to write the book a year ago because, uh, which is called "Crossing the Divide: Twenty Lessons to Help You Thrive in Cross Cultural Environments," because I had come off of about ten years working in super cross-cultural environments through my profession, whether it was Afghanistan, sending myself there to cover the war 10 years ago, um, and spending two months there on my own, and or the last eight years prior to leaving two years ago and working in Chinese media with a very diverse ethnically and racially and gender-wise group of people from all over the world and all different backgrounds and sets of assumptions and worldviews, I recognized out of that experience that we have a lot of people in this country who don't fully understand how diverse the workforce is and is becoming from a worldview and uh, perspective and how without that knowledge, you cannot accomplish projects and you cannot act, you know, you cannot make a client feel good. You have to understand how to communicate with people according to their culture and and 
their background. And, um, and our American openness doesn't always cut it. Sometimes, a lot of times, we can fall flat on our faces or make assumptions that are inadvertently rude or insensitive. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, even, the, even the most unpatriotic Americans probably has a piece of nationalistic streak in them somewhere where they think that we do things well or, or right here. So my goal with that book was to tell a lot of adventure stories, end with each with a lesson, and try to equip um, new entrants and early entrants to our workforce with a set of, with a framework to go in and be more successful in their jobs. So right now there is a lot of work being done in the area of diversity, equity, inclusion, and cultural competency in professional learning settings and in schools and departments of higher education. So how is your book different from classroom learning? It's a story. It's a series of stories. It's not academic. It's not researched. Um, I don't have footnotes. You will, you can read this on the train, on the bus, not in the car, if you're driving on the plane, you know, on the beach and it's intended to communicate conceptually, you know, and some, some skill sets. There's some logistics in there too. When you kind of come into a new country, some things to think about. Uh, A lot of things I've learned the hard way or did wrong at the time. And I spend probably the most time talking about interacting with Asian cultures and recognizing that your set of assumptions in the West is fundamentally different from people in the East. I think some of the diversity, equity, and inclusion education, from and, and I haven't studied it, um, my experience with it thus far, it's not clear to me that there's an understanding that we don't all come from the same set of absolutes that um, even honesty, I mean, for example, honesty is not actually a valued trait if what? it means you get the upper hand in the East. That Yeah, exactly, that reaction, right? So like if you're crafty and deceptive, deceptive is a tool to win and winning is important. That's right. not to say the West doesn't do that, um, but I would argue that we don't usually think of it as the right way to win. <laughs> <laughs> Cheating is not my um, way to win. Some of us, in, yeah. I mean, we don't tell our kids that, right? Right. For the last four years under President Trump, we were most of us telling our kids, "Don't act like that." <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, don't, don't, don't see see what I see and do what he does. Then again, um, yeah. So I just think there's there's there are different assumptions, and it's really helpful to know that we don't all come from the same place. We're not all educated to believe that the same set of traits are successful traits. Um, and gender makes a big difference, uh, too, of course. Right. I'm pretty loud and forceful, and that, in coupled with my experience in Asian cultures, is not the way they want women to act, and it's actually, it, it, it really um, doesn't help you. Well, it, speak more on that. It's mark what, against you. What do, they, what do they expect their women to be like or be over there? So I think there's a lot of really, really bright... I met and worked with a lot of really, really bright Chinese. And, and of course, each Asian country is different. So I think we have to, and that's not something that all Americans recognize. So people of different ancestry from Asia, they're not interchangeable, and they will tell you that. Um, and yet we call all of them Asian American Pacific Islanders. And there's like, you know, I don't know, 30 or 40 different kinds of ethnicities within that racial group, right. unlike African Americans or um, Hispanic Americans. 
which, you know, Brazilians would not identify as Hispanic Americans because um, they're not from Hispaniola, the central part of Central America. Um, so I think that my experience with them is very smart, but they have a very different way of interacting in public, which is not overtly loud, boisterous or forceful, demure, submissive, meek doesn't mean they are, but that is the that is what it what couches their femininity. That are, those are the traits of femininity. I, I don't exemplify any of those. I'm a bull in a china shop at the best day. I'm not even that coordinated. So, like it, yeah. I mean, I'm very grateful for the time that I spent in a Chinese context because I think they were really putting up with quite a bit um, and probably uncomfortable a lot. And I didn't even know for a while that it, it was just, you know, there was cultural dissonance that it wasn't personal. Right. So, yeah, I think it's, I mean, one thing I, I, one story, an anecdote that will really spell it out is I have seen women with PhDs coquettishly batting their eyelashes and sitting next to old white middle-aged men with receding hairlines as though, and hanging on their every word, like you would have seen in the 19, you know, I don't know, twenties in our country. So, and it's not that they're, that it's, it is really not a reflection on those women's intellect. It's culture. It's right. how they think they're supposed to behave. Do the men in that culture kind of enforce that? Not saying enforce, but kind of like kind of put that in a like this is kind of how you have to behave, kind of like re, re, reinstate that, so to speak? Um, I think some of that is I don't think that would necessarily happen inside their culture as opposed to with, an, with a person of another race that they were trying to impress. Oh, got it. That that makes a lot of sense. So the challenge that you faced was from being from outside? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And also just not, you know, almost being more like the men than the women. I mean, certainly that was the case in Afghanistan. I've never met a I've never met any of my Afghan friends, wives, for example. Really? So there is there are diminished roles for women. Oh, yeah. With the the veil. At least in a public sense. I should. Yeah. Okay. So now I may get myself in trouble with my Afghan friends, but my experience 10 years ago in Afghanistan was that I, I rarely have ever met an Afghan woman and certainly not a woman uncovered and definitely was not treated like a, I didn't feel like I was treated like a woman. I was treated like one of the guys. By Afghans. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't know if that completely translate to, translate to my Chinese um, experience. But um, there's a, there are different ideas culturally about masculinity, and Western cultures have different ideas about masculinity than Eastern cultures do. And it's not good or bad; it's just different. And so, kind of understanding um, and femininity, for that matter, um, and and what you do in public versus what you do in private. I think independence is a really valued trait in America, right? Like showing that you're independent, oh, yeah. showing that you think for yourself. Showing that you're willing to go left when other people go right or up when other people go down. Well, that's not valued in a, um, a communal culture. Family, thinking like other people, thinking about other people before yourself. Those are more emphasized. Con- Confucian thought is very much about harmony and reconciliation and getting along. Whereas I don't feel like that's emphasized in our culture in America. It's, well, well, one you know. good example would be like, just look over the last year when we had the must wear a mask. Oh, I'm not wearing a mask. You must wear a mask. I'm not, you know. Exactly. Like, that is that is pure. It's <laughs> hard right there. Uh, and Chinese I, people cannot understand what the problem is. 
If the government tells you to do something and they mandate it and they enforce it, why would you think of questioning it? Especially if it's supposedly for your own benefit. Right. Yeah, these, definitely. These are not even things that occur to very educated people, or at least are expressed outwardly. Right. You, know, you only know what people say, right? But so I can't assume what they think. But yeah, no, I mean, and there's also a culture of wearing masks in Asia, which that's true, is, which has come from other pandemics like SARS. Right. That was more of an epidemic. Um, so, yeah, I just think trying to be aware, look, look, you can't master all of the differences. So my argument fundamentally is let's d- just kind of have an aware, go into the working world, knowing that the way you were brought up shapes you and you need to understand what that looks like for you so you can compare you to other people and understand that not everybody's going to come from the same background. So building off of that, Jessica, since we are emerging from the pandemic and businesses hey, are starting no masks. to <laughs> people <laughs> are starting to bring their employees back and some employers are starting to continue this work from home outside of the pandemic and I've seen ads for employers that normally would have only hired people from locally encouraging people f- globally to apply for their positions, meaning that there might be a lot more diversity in the workforce coming on the horizon. What would your advice be based off of what you've learned and written about in your book for us to adjust to a more cross-cultural and diverse workplace? Well, first of all, buy the book. It's on Amazon. We have a, a paper book and an ebook. Secondly, um, I think one of my most treasured lessons out of the 20 lessons is that you do not have to lose your own identity to identify with others. It's just looking for common ground. I mean, we currently, and I think it's exacerbated by the pandemic and the political environment, we don't seem to even be able to get along with each other in America if you have a different perspective on something. That is not going to help us as a country. It's not going to help us as a world. You've got to be able to find a nexus point. And if you can't talk about the differences, then just don't. (laughs) Find something in common. Uh, right, you like and, toast and be too? a student. Yeah. What's that? I thought you like toast too. Yeah, there you go. Weather, I mean, weather, sports, family, right, right. Uh, dog, pets. For those of us, and I'm including myself in this, that really like to go deep with people, it may not be very satisfactory. It may not be what you would think of as your as a quality relationship. But if the end goal is to get a project done or make a client feel good about the work that you're performing. Uh, you know, you got to do it. And and I think the difficulty about and the challenge of what you're describing of us all working cross continentally with people of other cultures via technology is that we don't have an opportunity to sit down for a meal, a cup of tea, go to a sporting event, talk. uh, You've got to carve out the space, uh, which is not a very American thing to do. The sort of like, hey, we actually need to just get to know each other. Instead of what? talking about the project, you know, or have a virtual coffee and find out a little bit about the other person. Because, you know, you, you may like soccer and they may like cricket. But if you learn a little something about cricket or at least follow that person's team, it's going to mean a lot to that person. Oh, definitely. And vice versa, you know. So I think, I, I think looking for the, making the time to ask those questions and then acting on it is important. Recognizing that that, that relationship is part of achieving tasks, which is something I'm fairly new at understanding. I'm incredibly task-driven. 
Uh, and it, it, it's problematic with cultures that are much more relational in the way that they interact. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And um, you've given me some really great tidbits to think about as I'm getting ready to start transitioning back into the workplace. And um, there's been new people that have been hired during the pandemic because of retirements or people that are just overburdened. And I would like my workplace to be an even more inclusive and diverse place where everybody feels that they can connect with their identity. And, you know, we focus on equity work, but yet we're not experts at it. So it's, um, this has been very helpful for sure. Yeah, I think there is a nexus point without an agenda. We, we need to get back to some basics, which is just finding common ground. Um, for whatever reason, that has not been the focus of our national dialogue for the last... <laughs> <laughs> well, you could say at least four years. <laughs> and you right. may have your philosophy about why that happened, and I may have a different one, or we may have the same one, but regardless of that, uh, we move forward right. in, in, in unity, right? Like the, And you can't just ask, I, I don't really, I mean, I appreciate that President Biden asked for it, but I think we have to do more than that. We, we can't just expect that him calling for it as means that we all fall in line. We each have to make an effort to, to reorient around the idea that like America's uniqueness, and I use America, people in South and North America just, I've learned, do not like that we think that this is America. This is the United <laughs> States of America. They are part of America and the Americas. Um, but, but the United States of America is an idea. Without that idea that out of many, one, Without the idea that we we are we exist because of the ideas in the Constitution, which, while not perfect, set us up for an ever-changing way of treating each other and legislating our country's path forward, that can adapt. It doesn't stay static. Constitution is flexible. It gives us the ability to to continue to legislate and, and amend the Constitution. So that's. All of those things are what define us. Our ingenuity comes out of that, our ability to critically think. These are the things that have propelled our country forward. And I, I think it's important that we're looking at um, inclusion and race and issues that have contributed to disparities in our economic picture and our racial picture where people live. But if we look too far behind, we will risk not looking forward. Well and said. we have to look forward to move our country forward economically and politically. Well, this has been so informative, Jessica, and we really appreciate the time that you've spent with us on the show today. So tell our listeners again where they can find out more about you and your book and follow along on your journalistic endeavors. Uh, you can find the book on Amazon. It's Again, it's called Crossing the Divide, 20 Lessons to Help You Thrive in Cross-Cultural Environments. It's available in an ebook as well as a paperback. And you can find me at jessica-stone.com. I'd love to hear from you. Um, if you the book, please feel free to sign up for my mailing list on the website. Uh, share your cross-cultural adventure stories with me. Uh, I think we are all need to be approaching this uh, interaction as students of each other and willing to learn from each other. And I hope to learn from you. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Jessica. And we can't wait to hear what the next exciting development is on your professional journey. Thanks for having me. It was good to be with you guys. The Podbreed Network is strictly for the small podcasts that are up and coming in the vast world of podcasting. Podbreed is made up of many diverse podcasts. 
coming together to achieve the same goal of being the best damn podcast network on the planet. Find out more at podbreed.com. Well, that was so much fun having Jessica on the show. I had no idea about all the journalism stuff and the background stuff and the travel stuff. Who knew about China and their and their money situation? Yeah, it was super interesting to learn all about not just how different cultures function and how women navigate that when they're in a position of power, but also to learn about like the changes that have happened in media and reporting and you know, I've been watching the news the last couple of days since we had her on the show. And <laughs> it was so funny. I saw a news article that came out about something that occurred in my hometown. And um, it was about a city council meeting that I had watched. And to read the position of the the reporter, it was so biased. And it was like not reporting on the facts. It was like, even in the title, it was like small town bigots, da 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 da. And it was just like, how can, how about you report on the true facts, not just on your perception of the facts? And I've just become hyper aware of it. Hey, what was that paper you said that was like total false fake news? Uh, the Onion. The Onion. <laughs> I only get my facts from the Onion. <laughs> and Wikipedia. <laughs> Which Wikipedia is true. It is. A, it is a, is a pedia, like an encyclopedia. In fact, the P- uh, Wikipedia came first. Encyclopedia came second. That's not true. And the Onion told me it was true. <laughs> too much today well yeah it was a super interesting interview but um where do you typically get all of your news from chris pretty much social media like i'm on instagram a lot and i scroll through instagram there's a lot of i follow a lot of like news stuff news headlines local news uh, some cnn stuff tmz uh what else do i follow tmz oh my god actually actually is- honestly honestly though tmz Talk trash all you want. They break all the stuff first. That George Floyd video, TMZ came out with it first. Like that, that's why I saw it first. All that stuff came out first. They are pretty much the first ones to release. But all they're that stuff. ambulance chasers. What? What's that? Like they go after. Like they they chase around. They're paparazzi. They're not news. Oh, of course they are. Of course they're not they're, news. They're paparazzi. I know they're, I know they're not news. But when there's a video of something happening, like a new Karen story, uh, TMZ seems to be the ones to have the video of it first. Well, they're the shock and awe people. Like they right. obvi- obviously just go after shock and awe. They're but I, not okay. like. Regardless of them, I do follow a lot of other radio stations, and they like to promote a lot of news story clips, too. Like, all the stimulus talk we've had in the last year, like, you're getting this money or that money or when you're getting your check or how much you're going to get. I would post – I would see that stuff on Instagram, and I would get a lot of stuff about that stuff, too. Follow that. Um, So much on Twitter. Not a ton on Twitter. Mostly Instagram, because they'll put, like, the headline – the flashy headline uh, image – on there and you're like oh what's that about mm. so, so I, you're drawn to the flashy news i think so the headlines the uh, memes i guess things yeah. like that is what i usually see and i do see stuff in the i do get things via email my email i uh, started to get flooded these days but i do get emails from fox news san diego though not that not the fox you All can't right. stand but the All local right. fox news stuff i'm on their uh email list so they'll send me the news stories of the day or whatever news uh, thing happens mm-hmm. in them. And I've always been a fan of local news stuff, probably because of more of like what's going on in my backyard versus what's going on in the backyard of uh, Palestine or something. Uh, pa- of what? P- Palestine. Uh, that's not even a country. It's called Palestine. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Palestine. Oh, my gosh. Chris, see, this is what happens when you watch fake news. It's like you come up with new countries. Well, you know, it's over there somewhere. But I'm saying is that that. <laughs> Is that I'm saying. I apologize to all of our listeners that are going through severe persecution in the Middle East right now. 
Chris didn't mean to downplay that. That's what happens when you watch fake news. And the onion said it was true. Oh my gosh, Chris. And it's one new, new one I found called the Babylon Bee. You've heard of this one? Oh no. No, no, they, no. They they send out stuff all the time. Good stuff too. No. Good content. They, they are horrible. What's wrong with them? They are satirical. They are specifically designed to make fun of the news. They make up fake stories. They, they do? Are, I thought it was real. No, are you kidding me right now? I honestly like 100% be, be real right now. I, I would see them like that's pretty cool, but the no. title sounds weird, though. It's because, <laughs> oh my gosh, Chris, <laughs> they came out, they started as a site that was like satirical about religious news, Babylon, like like Tower of Babel, like in the Bible. Like they, oh. they literally, no, I, if you really get them, your news from them, we need to have. A I follow com- them on some social platform. I see me. No. It must be Instagram. No. I follow them. Uh-uh. We need a come to Jesus moment. It's, I follow them to get a wait, laugh. Wait, wait a second. No, listen. You follow them too. I follow, Don't blame me. You follow no, them. No, I follow them to get a laugh because I know all of it is fake. And I like to see what hilarious things they come up with that yeah, are like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Me too. Me too. No, you really thought they were real. Me too. Yeah. They should have know. a disclaimer. Fake news source. Like we should have a disclaimer like they have on the um, like the healthcare when you have the um, like medications that come up and they're like side effects may include da, 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 da. on anything for Babylon B or Fox News or well, Fox News is a real news source. Well, fake news. Um, any any of those news sources that are more sensationalized, like they should have a disclaimer in the book that I read when I was in high school called Animal Farm. They referred to it as muckraking journalism, which is like they just try and like stir up the crud and try and get people to react. And they like go after the most like heinous stories. And so they should have a disclaimer that calls them like this news source is sourced from paparazzi, or this is classified as a muckraking you know, journalist. You say that, but Wikipedia does that on the bottom of their every page. It says where all the sources come from on all the Wikipedia facts. Right, and Wikipedia can come from regular people like you and me. You know what? More power to them. Oh, my word. More power to them. Friends, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what the conversation is like anytime we talk about the news is Chris will like sensationalize something, and I'm like, where was your news source? Well... Babylon B. It's, it's the truth. It's, it was on the internet. It was on the interweb. So that makes it true. That's right. The interweb is not filled with fake stuff. Is it? Oh, my word. I mean, everything you see is, is true in fact on the internet. No, it's not. It what am so. I? What are it's we? In, it's in print and it's on a screen. That doesn't make it true. Just because somebody <laughs> well, said it's, it it's doesn't on a make screen. it real. Yeah, well, you know. Cool. I know. I know. I know. I'm just teasing. All right. I don't know if you are, though. You say you are, but are you really? Yeah, well. <laughs> Anyways, well, we hope that you all have gotten a lot out of today's episode. We know that it was a very in-depth interview, and I know I got a lot out of it. And so, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. You can contact us through our social media or our email, which is linked on our website. Which, again, what is that website? www.chrisandchristineshow.com. And that's Chris and Christine with Kate. And we will see you guys next week. Remember this week that life is too short to wake up in the morning with regret. So love the people who treat you right, forget about the ones who don't, and believe that everything happens for a reason. If you get a chance, take it. If it changes your life, let it. Nobody said that it would be easy. They just promised it would be worth it. Thanks so much for joining us 
I'm Chris. And I'm Christine. And until next week, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward.